0: Corinthians 15 this morning and uh, we're going to be starting at about verse 50 and uh, go through the end of the chapter and we'll open up with a word of prayer um, lord i thank you for today again i just praise you for your blessings today and lord i thank you for the hope that is in the pages of what we're going to read today um, the hope in jesus christ um, the hope in the rapture the taking um and gathering up of the church and the body of believers. And so, Lord, I just pray that we live today um, like it is going to happen today or it could happen today. And, Lord, I just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. I'll give you just a second to turn there. There's a couple of questions that came to my mind as I just read just verse 50. Um, That I'll share with you in a minute because I really value your uh, your input on your thoughts, and then we'll go into what the Bible does teach us about those things. He says, "I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable." Listen, I tell you a mystery: we will not all sleep. then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So when we read that first verse in verse 50, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit imperishable. I had three rabbit trails in my mind going on uh, kind of at the same time. And the first question that came to my mind was, before the fall of man, could flesh and blood enter the kingdom of God? It was in it. <laughs> it, was, it, was in it. So, yes. And so, th- you know, this, this whole description uh, that Paul is giving up until this point and, and the description that we see in Romans that he gives us about how death came into the world. Um, before that time, Adam walked with the Lord. We know that. Uh, Adam walked with the Lord. He, he conversed with him. Uh, he existed in a world without sin, um, without death, without uh, decomposition, um, without anything like that. And, and it's kind of hard to imagine a world like that. There was no deterioration of things. Uh, in, in my world, and I'm sure in Brian's world, there was no rust. You know, I mean, I don't know that there would be cars today if if we still lived, you know, as Adam lived, uh, if they were being necessary or anything like that. But uh, I have one customer that comes in, and every time I have to do a repair that I've had to repair on his vehicles, every time I've had to do a repair, his response is oftentimes, we still live in a fallen world, don't we? And that is so true. So before the fall of man... Um, It leads me to that question because he makes the statement that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So then the next question I had that came to mind as I was reading and studying this is, where is the kingdom of God and where will it be? (laughs) It's a two-part question. (laughs) Jim's convulsing over there. He's so excited about that. hmm If he
1: doesn't be interesting in reading than the Greek because the whole verse is a verse, but the first half would be false on its own. Right. Because Jesus, when he raises from the dead, says to his disciples, um, look at me, it is I, I touch my hands and my feet. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I
0: have. Right. So we will have flesh and bones. Right. But we won't have perishable flesh and bones. Right. That's important. That's an important uh, point to make. There is that when the resurrection does happen, and I, and I think he's making it clear in the following verses that we, the people who are alive at the point of the rapture, will be changed. Their bodies will be the same. They will they will resemble the same bodies that we have now, but they will be immediately sinless or immediately glorified uh, at that. <laughs> you won't be sixty, yes, the wrinkles will be gone the uh the I, I'm not gonna get into the details, but the unnecessaries that we carry <laughs> uh will be gone um and so there's a there's an instantaneous change that takes place, and so right. Right. Jesus was thirty, the priest had to be thirty. So I'm not saying it's thirty 'cause that's a common number, but if you think of the health of a thirty year old working in perfect health. Right, right. So if you, you if you younger,
1: like 10. I think you'd be an adult. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean I think that
0: you, you don't think any children
1: would be in them. Um, there won't be we'll all be children, but we won't be children of like humans, we'll children of like
0: God. Right. So what she's saying is is at an early age, young kids, you know, and that kind of thing i'm I'm convinced they will be uh at the point of the rapture that they will be changed as well if they've not come to a point in their life where um they have an understanding and they've been confronted with the truth and and they've made it you know had an opportunity to make the commitment and be like a, a miscarriage. right Every right be given what is considered a perfect human. right and and so uh, it's kind of the way I would describe it is is every follower of Christ and and child would would immediately if this is the right word I don't know they would immediately morph to resurrection without death is that would that be an accurate way of saying it because yeah you're just instantaneously you don't pass through death where other people have died have been buried and then they are resurrected um, they They get to pass through or or jump over the the dying process uh into immediately being glorified and so you know and I think about what Jim's describing, I think about the aches and pains that I feel when I get out of bed in the morning you don't have that you're that's not going to be existent anymore and so as all of this you know uh is going on, what Paul is saying here is that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So then what do we do about the 144,000 in the re, in, during the tribulation? The 144,000 are, were told that they are going to pass through tribulation and they're going to enter into the millennium without seeing death. They're not going to die. They're going to be protected from the events that take place that, you know, the, the when the four angels come and these things are inflicted, God says, hold on, wait a second, let me mark these people first. And, he, and he, in, in Revelation 7, he puts a seal on 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so if we go there just for a moment, uh, take a look at those verses, Roman, uh, Revelation uh, chapter 7. And we'll just read verses uh, 1 through 4 here. He says, After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power, to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. And so these people are marked, and I can't help uh, seeing the relationship between the seal that is put on these people, the protection that's put on these people, and the, the, the deposit of guarantee that is put on the life today that is living to please the Lord. That is being transformed into the image of our creator. Okay? Uh, but there is a difference between them. Uh, but the, the protection on them is, is guaranteed. And so if we turn to chapter 14 of Revelation... and we look at verses 1 through 5 here, um, we're going to see that there's four character traits of these people that are listed. Okay? Um, Let's read through these verses. He says, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. I want to stop right there just for a second. Um, I don't know if this is is a key element to this but in the eastern early eastern uh tradition a slave owner would mark the slaves with their name on their foreheads when they became slaves of a, of a, a master and so i don't know that that's significant here um, but what i do know is that the the seal is an ident an identifier with salvation through jesus christ and and following uh following the gospel so he says and i heard in verse two i heard a sound from heaven like the roar of what rushing waters and like l- a loud peal of thunder the sound i heard was like that of a harpist playing their harps and they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and suffered, or excuse me, and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb, and no lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. So there's four characteristics that are listed in this passage. The first one is purity. Um, They have have no intimacy or intercourse with a woman. um, So that implies to me that these are men. Um, And so they're completely pure in their their physical life. Uh, There is implicit obedience. It says they follow the lamb wherever he goes. What do we read in John about that? Jesus tells um, his disciples that my servants are wherever I am. Uh, they're doing exactly what I do, the things that I do. They are following me and, and following the instructions that I give. So there's a very distinct, they are very adamant, uh, adamantly following exactly what God has commanded. And there's, there's complete obedience. Um, there's a separation from worldliness. It says they were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God. Uh, and then there's utter truthfulness. Uh, there is no deceit found in their mouth and they are blameless. And so that word blameless there uh, comes from the Greek word A-M-O-M-O-I. M-O-I, and it's a word that's used of sacrificial anim- animals without defect in the Old Testament. Yes? Okay. Because when you look at four okay. these are do not file themselves with women, and then it says whether they remain virgins. Virgin is only used in the Bible for women. Okay. So I think it is possible that the hundred and forty four thousand could be a mix a mixed gender. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I yeah. Commentary has, uh, virgins is not a physical description but
1: a spiritual one. Just as the church must be presented to Jesus as a chaste virgin, the 144,000 must be pure in their ministry. One of the gross sins of the tribulation will be apostasy, spiritual Mm -hmm. adultery. But these witnesses will be undefiled by the world, having
0: given themselves in pure devotion to the Lord. Okay. Yeah. So they're going to be trained like this to be? They're going to be like that from the rapture? Right. Right. So, so when that seal, yeah, the reason that seal is put on them. And I had read and and so I guess I am in question whether or not they could be married or not. Is that is that what you're saying? Well, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that is or isn't a possibility. I'm just saying that the very word for virgin in the Greek is only assigned to women in the Bible. So I think that she's right that Okay. spiritual. So I think when Paul right.
1: Right. <laughs>
0: yeah. Probably in a way, I'm sure in a way no, that nobody's ever seen. Nobody's ever observed before. Uh, because. Yeah. The opportunity is for everyone. It will be very difficult. Right. Right. So the hardening will then be on the Gentiles and there will be Gentiles that do get saved but it will be difficult uh, because there is also a reference to those Gentiles who help the Jews flee to the wilderness um, who who offer protection to the Jews that are following the Lord. So I'm convinced there will be Gentiles that get saved but it will be difficult. Right. Right, right. And so in reference to what you were saying, I did read that these people are are, are not described as being pastors or evangelists or anything like that, but the testimony of their life will be so pure and so holy that people will get saved because they'll be watching the things that are going on and they'll see a group of people that are living pure, holy lives that are untouched, (laughs) Uh, unimpact or unaffected as far as from outward in on their lives they're un they're not touched by all of these things that are going on the the seals the bowl judgments and things like that um, and so that's going to be the most impactful testimony um, in sharing the gospel during those days in that time so these people actually are living their lives according to um the passage in, uh, I think it was Second Corinthians twelve. No, I'm sorry, that's not that's not it. it was it's First Corinthians, First Corinthians ten. Uh, let's turn back there. I didn't write the verse down, but I. Um, yeah, First Corinthians ten, verses twelve and thirteen. There, there are a group of people that it says if. If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. There are people that live by by this and fulfill this passage. And so when, when they are tempted, they, they, they make the choice to take the way out, um, and they are also very careful uh, to watch their own lives and their own jo- doctrines so closely that, that their life is, is a complete, uh, powerful testimony about the words of Jesus Christ. So back in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Right. Right right and so uh in in chapter 15 verse 50 again um this this declaration that paul is making that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god i also want to make mention paul uh uh writes later as well um that there are inexpressible things i think it's, i think that's second corinthians 12 that there are inexpressible things that that Paul is not permitted to write about. And, and I'm sitting here reading John's writing revelation. I'm going, did Paul get to see that? And Jesus says, don't write about that because I'm going to reveal that later. <laughs> you know? Uh, and so he's, he's not permitted to, to tell everything that he sees. And I'm sure that there were unwritten things that Paul got to see uh, that we're going to find out about later as well. <clears throat> right
1: right and so Yeah. right not Jesus not Peter not John
0: right and we see mystery defined in Romans 16 uh just towards the end of the chapter he he gives the description of of what a mystery is before he goes into this this teaching as well so anyway um Paul turns to the the unasked question here in chapter fifteen, verse fifty, and that question is, "What about those who are not dead at Christ's coming?" the the the, the church at Corinth didn't ask that question, but Paul answers that question anyway because it's essential in understanding, uh, and it's a question that is going to come up just like it did in this room. It's a question that is going to come up eventually in their uh, in their Following Christ and in their belief, so he he tells them, "Listen, I tell you a mystery: we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed." So he's describing that there are some that will not die; there are some that, in an instant, will be changed and and put into uh, or put on their glorified body um, in order to enter the kingdom of God. And so um, he says in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable excuse me and the mortal with immortality. So verses 51 and 52 Paul reveals the same truth Uh, To the Thessalonians in in 1 Thessalonians 4. If we want to read that, we can read that as well. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 13. He says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those And so the the words in a flash and in the twinkling of an eye, of course, they indicate the change to an imperishable, imperishable uh the tongue tied on that word, the change to an imperishable body will occur instantly. Um, We're talking about
1: the church age
0: people, correct? Right, right. Um, so Paul says in Romans 8, that Christ is the first fruit, we are the first
1: fruits.
0: Right. We
1: will resurrect before anyone else because we have a person who is brought up by the Spirit. Right. So if we're here, we are raptured, but those in the church age who have died, died asleep already, they go first then. Us. Right. So they're not those who has
0: died already, not in heaven. They're spirits. Yeah, at least a silhouette or something of that, yeah. So
1: John the Baptist will not get his glorified body until long
0: after. Right. Like Peter and John. Are they the ones that are just, dis- no, I'm sorry, I'm getting those two things confused in Revelation. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, I agree with that. the resurrection of christ
1: yeah so the church age begins with the resurrection of christ and ends at the rapture so at the end of our age we get our
0: resurrected body right tribulation saints begins with the beginning of the tribulation and ends at the end of the tribulation and we say the rapture Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's why it's important to, to understand the rapture because right
1: there's, there's so much mixing of them together and Christ wants us to know when we will receive our Lord yeah. and God because the, it's the end of the age of the
0: church right right and I agree with that one of these days I'm going to ask Jim to sit down and make a timeline and put everybody in their age <laughs> so that we all know um uh, and put the scripture right alongside, you know. And uh, it, it's one of those things that you you can't exhaust studying, you know. I don't think you could ever know everything that there is to know. Uh, well, I, I'm sure you can, but it just seems like it's an endless uh, an endless amount of knowledge to be taken in about the about those times. And so. Um, Right.
1: And he stood at the top of the mountain of ours and slept Yeah. Because they didn't know. So why would we think that well the rapture, you know, like I've had a pastor tell me, I believe in the pan theory, it all pan out. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: that's not what they're that they want that's something. an excuse for not studying. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So um anyway, uh yeah, so the, the words in a flash the, the change takes place. The imperishable body, uh, it, the resurrected body happens immediately. So then, when he refers to the trumpet, as in the Old Testament, this signals the appearance of God. So we can turn there if you want to. Exodus 19:16. There's a there's a reference there at Mount Sinai uh, that the trumpet is heard as the Lord descends or comes down to the mountain. Huh? It was. Um, but it was, it was an announcement uh, as, as an announcement to the, the appearance of God that was about to take place. And so... Um, 19, yeah, chapter 19. Let's start in verse 14 and read through uh, 16. So after Moses had gone down the mountain to the people... He consecrated them, and they washed their clothes, and he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. And he says, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, and with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, everyone in the camp trembled. And uh, he goes on to say that the Lord, and I didn't realize this. I, I'm sure it's been there, and I just missed it. But later on, I find out that that God told him to bring Aaron with him uh, when he came up the mountain. And I'm not sure exactly how all of that transpires. Um, He's going back up the mountain after the third day to receive the Ten Commandments. To, the Ten Commandments, right. Um, and so, uh, but this trumpet blast is the announcement of, of the Lord coming and everybody there hears it and they tremble they tremble Uh, they're given specific instructions don't try to come up here Uh, don't get too close to the mountain you'll be struck dead Um, and so there's there's details there that um, that are there for their protection uh, that are there to help them understand the sovereignty and the reverence uh, that is that is to be acknowledged before the lord and so You're jumping ahead. You're right on my notes. It's the last blast for the church <laughs> because this appearance will never end for the followers of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 13, 12. We will see him face to face. There won't be a need for another trumpet blast for a gathering. So, with that being said, there is no basis for the post-tribulationalist. Uh, that equate this trumpet with the seventh trumpet in Revelation 11. There are some people who will go to Revelation 11 and read through the trumpet blasts that take place there and say, well, that's the last trumpet. That's not the case because those are trumpet blasts of judgment on the earth. Yeah. What I'm saying, too, is to the Jews, there's a last trumpet that is a different tune. Right. is a shofar or something like that? Well, sh- trumpets, okay. They play trumpet, right. So there's a, there's a that they play it was probably more like rock and roll rather than
1: It's to the end of the church being Right.
0: Okay, okay. Um, so yeah, the, uh, the, the, the particular trumpets in Revelation 11 um, do pertain to the judgments during the tribulation, whereas a trumpet here is specifically related to the church um, as we're reading in 1 Corinthians. So if we look at uh, verses 53 through 55 in 1 Corinthians 15 and he says for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality and when the when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality then the saying that is written will come true death has been swallowed up in victory where, O oh, death, is your victory and where, O oh, death, is your sting? So just like the dead, the living will exchange the temporary and imperfect for the eternal and the perfect. So death's power is removed from those who belong to, tr- to Christ. And so that really struck a chord with me when I, when I read that, that the power of death no longer, from the, from the point of the rapture, the power of death no longer has any say-so in a follower of Christ's life, whether they're dead or alive. And so, the, like I said, the transition from the mortal or the perishable into the immortal for the person who is still living physically is a, is a seamless transition, and it's an instantaneous crossing over. And uh, for the, those who have died, their mortal, perishable body is resurrected, transformed into a glorified body, and rejoined with the, with the Spirit that is with the Lord. And so we meet them in the air. I, 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 I'm just sitting here going, that's going to be so cool. <laughs> you know, to be able to, to see that happen um, is just going to be awesome. So death is swallowed up in victory is the fulfillment of Isaiah 25.8. Um, and then in verse 55, uh, that's a quote from Hosea 13, 14. um, where, oh, death is your victory, where, O death is your sting. And, uh, in verses 56 and 57, he says the sting the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory over our Lord Jesus Christ. And I underlined victory in this verse and I underlined victory. What's that? oh through you're Christ. yep sorry sorry <laughs> through our Lord Jesus Christ yeah that, I underlined victory in in this verse and I also underlined victory um in verse uh fifty four because Paul ends verse fifty four with this word and he's entering into the exaltation uh of of Christ in verse fifty five and so similarly uh, the word sting in verse 55 leads him into this brief digression in verses 56 and 57. And so the law becomes the mirror in which the human uh, rebellion and attitude is measured against. And so the law comes into play, and, and and we know and understand this. There's several passages of Scripture about this that talk about how... Um, if we're living our life and we don't know that there's a law against the things we're doing, we're not going to be held responsible. but so the law comes to help us understand the violation against God uh, that is present in our lives as a result of uh, as a result of the fall of the first Adam and when we measure that again when we take and put that up there uh there's there's two possible uh choices and attitudes. That, that present themselves. And, and Paul describes that as... Um, I forget how the verse starts now. Leads to repentance that brings salvation. Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow thank you. There's, there's two uh, choices that are available in front of us. There's godly sorrow and there's worldly sorrow. And there's no gray area. There is no in-between. So godly sorrow leads to repentance that brings salvation and leaves no regret. And worldly sorrow leads to death, it says. And so um, I think that's the mirror that's, when that mirror is placed in front of us, that's the choices. Uh, we can choose rebellion. We can choose to say, wow, you know, uh, that's that's really good, but I'm I'm good. I'm satisfied with where I'm at. And then the godly sorrow helps us to understand, of course, um and, and the attitude helps us to understand how much love christ has for us because we understand how uh we have failed and fallen short so anyway um the
1: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and he's not even asking to be restored as a son back to where he was. He's going, you know what, give me the lowest place in your ho- in your house uh, ju- and just let me just let me be there. Um, and so, of course, you know, we know the story that his father runs to him and he meets him and he puts the uh, the robe on him. He puts the ring on him. He prepares a feast. And um, there's just so much joy uh, over the repentance that takes place in the story. So. Through the obedience of the last Adam, Jesus Christ, there is victory. There is victory over death. Uh, And then in verse 58, he says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. And therefore uh, is a reference to because there is a resurrection. Since we know that there is a resurrection, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always does, what is, how often does that mean? <laughs> Every, exactly. More than I've shown, I and I'm right there with you on that. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So this morning during prayer time, it was prayed, Lord, prepare our hearts today for what you have for us. And And, and immediately what came to my mind is, how many times do I come into worship, and whether knowingly or unknowingly, I put conditions on whether or not I'm going to worship fully today? You know, if, if everything goes well, this person says hi to me, that person doesn't, you, you know, say this or that or doesn't do this or that, or and if the music sounds good and... and the message is encouraging and uplifting and, and all this kind of stuff, then I'll worship fully. I'll, I'll give everything in my worship then, all my heart, my soul, my strength. Um, but if, if something happens, if I step in a puddle on the way in the door and my shoes are wet the rest of the sir, I just can't do it. You know, um, how, how often, I'm just, I'm looking at my own life. I'm not looking at anybody else. I'm looking at my own life going, wow, how many times have I not done that just in worship, that that doesn't include the rest of the week, um, when there's opportunities in front of me to share the gospel. Yeah. Um, the, verse, the last
1: verse from chapter uh, twelve of Hebrews that we studied last week. Uh, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let mm-hmm. us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. What's gonna
1: be preached
0: on. And we've done it the past couple weeks and I was like, Acceptably <laughs> with reverence and awe, do we do that? Right. Right. Do I do that? Right. <laughs> or do I get distracted? Yeah. Right. Stand firm. Right. Therefore, if you believe it's true, worship God
1: acceptably. Mm-hmm. So the worshiping God acceptably and the standing firm is the
0: being sure. Right. And it doesn't matter what our circumstances shouldn't matter what our circumstances are. Right, exactly. And and I was gonna ask that, so how often are we involved in uh, something that we're sure that God wants us to do to serve Him? and we get a little bit of static from somewhere or somebody else and and how easily we be like can't you see what i'm doing here <laughs> did jesus do that i mean did he respond with that kind of attitude toward another person he didn't he 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 responded in a way that okay maybe this person isn't seeing things that that the lord is showing me um you know, of course Jesus always did what his father wanted but there's so many examples in the scripture where different levels of maturity have to be allowed to be accepted for everyone to continue to grow and mature and so that's and that's difficult for me i i'm just being the first one to be open and honest about that it's it's hard uh it's difficult for me to 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 understand that, that each person is at a different place and and to not be critical, then, of the people who are not, from my little world, my circle, uh, are not in the same place. And I don't know if you, if, if you look
1: at it this way as well, but sometimes uh, being critical of that or, or looking at it a different way, it's hard to determine sometimes whether it's just immaturity
0: in their faith or, i the same. I mean, but the, so the but my resp- is there. <laughs> right there's a genuine concern, but my response sometimes shows my own immaturity right. you know that's what i'm that's what i'm getting at it's not that you know all oh, this person's not as mature as i am that's not what i'm getting at but there's i i'm i'm still learning how to to respond to different maturity levels of different people and how to be more uh, to try and be more and not try sorry to be more encouraging like Jesus wants us to be uh and to be willing to to teach as well so um. You think of the words, Jesus right, means he was faced with the choice every single time. He knew everything about it before he did it. Right, he did it, he it. right. And so the last the last point I want to make with this, this last verse is that when we are serving Him and we're serving one another to to remember that it's not a useless or empty activity. You know, there's times when, um, sometimes serving or or you know, doing things for one another and for other people and for reaching out into reaching out into the community and things like that, it's easy to ask ourselves, "What's the value?" Um, because nobody ever nobody ever sees what really happens. Nobody ever understands what's going on and that kind of thing. But the reality is, is when when the, the people were appointed in, I think in Acts, when Peter appoints the people to serve the, the Jews that were being neglected and things like that, I forget where it's at, but uh, Acts 6, thank you. Um, when he makes those appointments, it, it, it was never questioned, why am I just serving tables because it was very clear, you're serving tables so that these people can study the word of God and bring the gospel message in everybody. Everybody gets fed physically and everybody gets fed spiritually. And that's how the body works. Have you ever tried to eat a meal with no hands? We used to, we used to do that with kids when we take them to camp. We'd come in, sit down, there'd be spaghetti for dinner or whatever. Okay, tonight's no hands dinner. No hands dinner. Everybody, you know, face first into your plates. Put your hands behind your chair, and everybody eats. Okay, and that means napkin and everything. You don't get to use your hands for your napkin. You don't get, you know. And that's fun. It's it's kind of. But the reality is, is that's what the church is like if there's not everybody doing their part. And so, um, anyway. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> when he's when he's confronted, and then he's killed at the end of the message, <laughs> right? He's executed for giving the truth. He so, yes, yes, and and what an awesome example, um, you know. Uh, started out, and that's what he was doing. He said, "I just want to serve." That's the position he was he was appointed to, and that's the position he was called to. And when the opportunity arose for him to share the gospel with people who had a lot more power than he did, he stood on the truth. And he stood there alone, and he gave it, he delivered the message, and then died for it. So thank you for your attention this morning.